since October 7th, the world has been littered with horrific images from the attack by the terrorist group Hamas on unsuspecting Israelis. The pushback from Israel has been strident and expanding. In the middle are 5 million Palestinians who have seen destruction of their homes as Israeli military pursue Hamas. While the violence is half a world away from Canada, there has been a huge uptick in violence and anti-Semitism here. Our unpublished Abo question asks, do you feel police in Canada are addressing the violence and anti-Semitism professionally? Yes, no, or unsure. You can cast your vote on this topic at unpublished.vote. Don't forget to email your MP afterwards using our tool to tell them what you, why you think what you do. All comments on the unpublished.ca website will be entered into a draw for a one-year membership to unpublished.ca. You can log on and vote right now at unpublished.vote and have your voice heard. Joining us to discuss the increase in violence and hate is Warren Kinsella, political commentator, former special advisor to Prime Minister Jean Chrétien, as well an author. And Warren, I've known you for, for quite a while, and I've never seen your concern so pronounced regarding the Israeli-Hamas uh, war. Why is that? Well, you and I have known each other for a long time. And, you know, as you know, I've been writing about this stuff, uh, anti-Semitism and Islamophobia and racism for more than 30 years. Uh, I've written 10 books. Most of them are about those subjects. And, you know, like, it, like it, it's always bad. Like there's no region, there's no province that's got a monopoly over virtue. The issue of anti-Semitism and that kind of hatred never fully ever goes away. But I've never seen it as as organized and as brazen and as bold and as out there as it is right now. And, um, you know, it's had the effect of intimidating many people. Um, and and uh, we've also seen many acts of serious crime taking place from one part of the country to another. You've got um, Jewish community centers in Fredericton and in, in Toronto and uh, Montreal being firebombed or attacked. You've got Jewish schools being shot up, Jewish homes being shot up. You've got people calling for genocide against Zionists, which, you know, Dr. King reminds us is really always just referring about Jews. So it's really, really bad. And I think uh, not all of it is organic. As I've reported for Post Media, it looks very much like there is quite a bit of money and organization behind it. And, um, you know, from all my years in politics, as you know, you know, you, you kind of get used to looking at a rally or a protest or an event, and you can tell if there's money or organization behind it. And it very much feels like that's the case here. Uh, you mentioned that you'd never, or you hadn't, you know, it's always been, always sort of been around in the background, but it's now in the forefront and people don't seem to be afraid to voice their opinion on that. Why do why do you think the change or is it just the, it's more organized and there's more money? I think there's a generational dimension to it. Um, you know, there's always been anti-Semites. There's always been Islamophobes and homophobes. Those people regrettably are always in society, but they're never in sufficient numbers to be kind of noteworthy or notable. They don't affect dramatic change. Two things have really taken place since 2016, when Donald Trump was elected, it's licensed a lot of haters to be out there in a very aggressive and loud way. And I think the, the second thing that's happened is generational, as I say. 
You know, there were studies that were done almost immediately after October 7th by Harvard and by others showing that Generation Z, so 18 to kind of 25-year-olds and millennials who are 25 to, you know, their early 40s are much more sympathetic, not just to the Palestinian cause, but to Hamas. Like, for example, Harvard, the week after October 7th, and when it was documented the terrible things that happened there, um, Harvard found that more than half of young Americans sympathize with Hamas, indicated that they were supportive of what Hamas did. And I've seen similar studies done in Canada by people that you and I both know, uh, so serious pollsters, you know, serious readers of public opinion showing the same thing. So we've got a, a cultural problem, you know, brought on by the Trump era, but I think we've got a generational problem too. Do some people have trouble seeing Israel as able to defend itself? That seems to be part of the problem here. Yeah, no, for sure. And, you know, Israel's always held to a different standard. If you look at what uh, the Syrian regime did against Muslims in that country, you know, murdering hundreds of thousands of innocent Muslim civilians, um, you know, nary a peep was heard from the people we're now seeing protesting in the streets against Israel. I, I think Israelis that I know, uh, and I've interviewed plenty in the past few weeks and months, they're used to that double standard. But it's been particularly hurtful to them because 1,200 men, women, children, and babies were slaughtered in Israel on October 7th, and not just Jews, uh, foreign workers as well. And more than 200 were kidnapped, with more than 100 who are still uh, being held hostage. So it's been a very painful episode from for them. And I think they expected reasonably the world to say, you know, we're with you, we support eliminating Hamas, we support bringing home the hostages, and the reverse has happened. Um, it's just unleashed this fury of anti-Semitism, and it, it's, a, it's a very dark time in our history, I would say. Yeah, you know, we've had a, a lot of protests and demonstrations across the country, pro-Palestinian, uh, but in most cases, police haven't charged very many people, nor, nor do they seem to want to get involved. Why do you think that is? I think they're waiting for some political leadership. You know, I asked that question of some leaders in Montreal just for the holidays because Montreal's had terrible situation. Mm -hmm. You know, the shooting up of the, the kids' schools and the firebombing of synagogues and, and community centers. And there have been no arrests. I mean, there was one imam who stood up in front of a protest of 20,000 people and called upon God to exterminate the Jews. And he's still walking the streets. So, like, I think that... Um, the police, uh, I'm not giving them an excuse, but Valerie Plant in Montreal, Olivia Chow in Toronto to a lesser extent, the police need to see that the people who develop the policies and the laws are going to back them up if and when they make, you know, they lay charges. And it's not every place, you know, some jurisdictions like Ottawa, where you are right now, is do, are doing quite well. So in fact, you know, there was a, a terrorist plot against Jews an attack that was being planned against Jews by some young offenders, alleged young offenders, and uh, the police caught it and they prevented that from taking place. So, you know, kudos to them. But in other parts of the country, the police are really asleep at the switch. And, you know, we pay their salaries and we expect them to protect us, all of us, and they're not doing it. You know, you, you brought up the police and looking for, for political leadership. Um, and you mentioned we're in Ottawa. And two years ago, 
the political leadership asked the police to do their jobs, but they didn't do it. So how do you, how do you reconcile that? I think in Ottawa, they learned their lesson. They learned that if you let the bad guys do bad things, it gives them a license to do more bad things. You know, there's a principle in law and put on my lawyer's hat called deterrence. And it happens at sentencing, but it also happens at the laying of charges to deter criminal behavior. And I think what the police and the authorities learned in Ottawa is if you give them an inch, they're going to take a yard. So you cannot do that. And so Ottawa has kind of when you compare it to Toronto or Montreal in particular, has done quite well. And other jurisdictions have, have done well in, in dealing with anti-Semitic crime. You know, for example, you know, yesterday in London, um, you know, the judge in the case of the Muslim family who were murdered, were slaughtered on the street two years ago, you know, he wouldn't even say the name of the offender in that case, but found that he had acted as a terrorist. I think that kind of tough application of justice is needs to be happening now with respect to the Jewish community, because if you look at hate crime across Canada, it has exploded since October 7th, and overwhelmingly it targets uh, Jewish Canadians, not any other group. Warren, I want to thank you for joining us. Thanks, my friend. Good seeing you. Warren Kinsella is a political commentator and former special advisor to Prime Minister Kretschmer, as well as an author. More than 29,000 Palestinians have been killed since Israel retaliated against Hamas. More than 60,000 are injured, and right now there's no end in sight. Joe Adam George is a research analyst specializing in Middle East and South Asia affairs, and he's written on national security issues for the McDonald Laurier Institute. He joins us now, and Joe, from your writing, it seems that you felt this type of attack was inevitable. Why is that? Hi, uh, good morning, Ed. A pleasure to be here today with you. Um, this um, this was a long-standing problem, Ed. As you know, this is um, first, firstly a conflict uh, that was in the making for decades. Um, in fact, we have seen that proceeding to this conflict, there were three other wars that were fought uh, between Israel um, and the state of Palestine, and also the neighboring uh, states in the region. Um, so. I think there is there's a lot to uh, unpack, uh, you know, with regard to the history of the conflict, which is simply impossible to do the show. But I, I just go to some of the, you know, just the very key basics. You know, in 1948, after the first war was fought, and then UNRWA, uh, the agency, the UN agency, uh, was created for Palestinian refugees. Uh, I mean, at that time, of course, the agency was created with a noble intention of making sure that the Palestinians were taken care for and the futures were secure. Uh, unfortunately, along the way, it got politicized uh, by neighboring uh, Arab states. And then, and as you can see uh, in the news of late, UNRWA has been, um, you know, up in the news for all the wrong reasons. And... Um, now, what we have now created, uh, I mean, what was back then created for a, a noble a noble cause is now become um, purely malicious. You have uh, for decades um, a group of uh, refugees operating in, in Palestine, um, you know, being radicalized uh, to uh, try and overthrow the state of Israel. 
and uh, cause trouble for the rest of the world. And as you can see, um, it's it's also become a problem for the neighboring Arab states, and which is why no, none of the Arab states want to take on Palestinian refugees simply because they find themselves, uh, find these people to be quite problematic. There have been three recorded instances uh, in history uh, where Palestinians have been taken by Lebanon uh, by Jordan and by Kuwait, and they were then kicked out of these countries because they caused trouble there. The most recent one during the Gulf War in, in 1990, the Palestinians went and supported the Iraqi president Saddam Hussein to try and um, overthrow, uh, defeat the Kuwaitis. And so once Kuwait won the war with the help of the U.S. Uh, coalition, they got rid of nearly 300,000 Palestinians. Similarly, in uh, and so the same case in Jordan, they tried to ass assassinate the then King Hussein, the father of the pres uh, present uh, monarch King uh, Abdullah, and um, King Hussein then kicked them out. Uh, the same thing in Lebanon as well. They were the cause for the Lebanese civil war uh, back in uh, the mid 70s, and which, as a result of which, uh, Lebanese Christians were forced to seek refuge uh, in Western countries. So you can see that there is a lot of backstory to this conflict, which is uh, it, it doesn't it, it's not uh, doesn't make for easy reading. And it's unfortunately the Palestinians, as much as the Israelis are victims in this, the Palestinian people have also suffered for decades. And um, sadly, mm -hmm. there is no magic bullet as such uh, as a solution for this, um, so to speak, at this point in time. No, and it, it, that, that's unfortunate. You know, what concerns me in Canada is why police seem to be doing very little to break up these uh, pro-Palestinian pro or anti-Semitic protests. Why do you think that is? Uh, good question, Ed. Um, I mean, the this, again, is a longstanding problem. This does not happen as a result of... Um, of the conflict, it's it's purely political, um, and I would lay the blame on all forms of government, not just the Justin Trudeau government, but also uh, the provincial ones as well. Because, as you know, policing is is part of um, the uh, the, uh, the uh, provincial government's uh, requisite as well. So, uh, what I, this this problem, firstly, has been because. Um, Justin Trudeau has allowed uh, for, uh, I mean, has created a very toxic environment uh, where, uh, you know, where diaspora politics and appeasement politics are played. So you, when you try and pref um, show preference to certain communities over others, you are, so, you know, and you are inevitably going to cause, um, you know, havoc in the days to come because when a conflict like this happens, then you can't base your policies on principle. You're forced to act on partisanship. So you, you uh, and as you know, Prime Minister Trudeau is always, um, you know, with his foreign policy and even with his domestic policy, um, it's very unclear what he stands for. He tries to make everybody happy. And in the process, very few are actually made happy. So... Uh, and that's what we see with the conflict. Um, you know, there could be, I'm not sure why the police are failing to act 
on some very clear instances of anti-Semitism, um, clear cases of violence. I mean, we are having, you're, you're seeing cases of uh, synagogues being shot at, uh, you know, people being threatened, um, but very little is being done. On the other hand, if you were to see, um, you know, the, I mean, certain, uh, you know, favored communities being uh, hurt, you would you'd see Prime Minister Trudeau lose no time to um, to go to the media and talk about uh, uh, that you know attacks against that uh, particular community is unacceptable and so on. But unfortunately, the Jewish community um, since October seven, as um, I mean, for them it's been it's been a very difficult uh, time. And uh, I would like to see all forms of government take more. Uh, I mean, get the law enforcement agencies to be more serious in protecting our Jewish communities. Yeah, you know, in your reading or in your writing, you feel part of the problem in Canada is the transnational financial crime laws. How is that factoring in here? Well, that's um, that again is a bro broader problem, Ed, um, and it's not limited to the conflict alone. As you can see in the past, even before the conflict started, uh, we uh, we knew that there was issues of foreign interference in Canada. As you know, there is an ongoing in inquiry in that regard as well, uh, with regard to uh, the Iranian regime, um, China, uh, the Chinese Communist Party, and uh, many other ro rogue actors, um, you know, involved in trying to meddle in our internal affairs. Um, and as a result, and because our, our laws um, and our criminal our, our criminal laws, rather, are are so backward. As um, it's it's made it easy for criminals, even transnational ones, to you know to look at Canada as a playground to conduct their um, you know malicious activities. I mean, you got Mexican drug cartels uh, operating um, you know, in in Vancouver. We, Canada has now become um, not just a significant producer of fentanyl, but also an exporter as well. We, um, you know, we have the issue of human trafficking, um, uh, you know, money laundering, oh, and all of this is, uh, I mean, emblematic of what uh, of what our policies have been, and which re really need to have a look in. But I don't expect the Trudeau government to solve any of these problems, since they, as you know, they seem to be uh, focused on other issues and the scandals that they are currently caught in. Joe, I want to thank you for joining us. Thank you, Ed. Pleasure being with you. Thank you. Joe Adam George is a research analyst specializing in Middle East and Southeast affairs, and he's written on national security issues for the McDonald Laurier Institute. Now, the war has brought some scary and hateful things to Canada. Richard Robinson's the director of research and advocacy at B'nai B'rith Canada, and he joins us now. And Richard, your organization audits the number of anti-Semitic incidents in Canada. 2022 was a record-setting one. How is 2023 looking since October 7th? Uh, well, thank you very much for having me, Ed, to talk about this very important subject. Um, our numbers for 2023 are due to come out at some point in the spring. But um, I think it's safe to say that we are expecting to see a, a rise um, 
in anti-Semitic incidents. Um, it has been a very concerning year. It was a year that actually people forget saw two conflicts in the Middle East. There was a brief skirmish between um, what now seems to be a brief skirmish between Israel and Palestinian Islamic Jihad in May of 2023. And that led to a rise in anti-Semitic incidents that actually lasted for several weeks following that well into June. And then of course, since October 7th, uh, for lack of a better term, the wheels have just sort of fallen off and uh, daily we're receiving calls um, and uncovering new incidents of anti-Semitism. How does that make you feel? It's, it's deeply concerning. Uh, Dare I even say horrifying uh, to be uh, a leader within the Jewish community at this point. Um, it's highly troubling as a Canadian to know that um, a international conflict can have such severe domestic ramifications. Um, the fact that, um, you know, a, a ally of Canada um, is fighting a defensive war and yet it produces such caustic vitriol um, in Canadian cities across the country is, is concerning, Ed. Yeah. It, you know, um, when you look at, at the, this Israel's being blamed for Palestinian deaths, but Hamas is the one who basically started everything, but they don't seem to be getting the brunt of the blame, at least through pro-Palestinian people. Why do you think that is? Yes. Yeah, sympathy and empathy for Israel were very short lived. Um, we saw, you know, cities around the world uh, lighting their um, monuments, uh, blue and white, and issuing their condolences and their sympathies and standing in solidarity with Israel um, directly following October 7th. And then unfortunately, as time has passed, uh, that support seems to have simply uh, disappeared. Uh, more so than attributing blame to um, to Hamas for the ongoing conflict. And of course, Israel is fighting a defensive war. Ed, uh, Hamas attacked Israel unilaterally with its allies on October 7th. And Israel's actions uh, henceforth have been in response to the unprecedented terror attack that occurred on October 7th. But more than that, it's also important to look at uh, the landscape that Hamas has created in Gaza since uh, Israeli forces withdrew in the early 2000s. Um, Hamas has ruled Gaza following a civil war um, against um, the, uh, the, the, the other side in the Palestinian uh, conflict, which was uh, Fatah. And uh, since then, they've, they've created a a military infrastructure in the Gaza Strip, as is evidenced by the tunnels, as is evidenced by the military brigades, as is evidenced by the rockets. And this is not a democracy. And so people forget that people have been suffering in Gaza under Hamas's rule for decades now, Ed. And, and a lot of, I guess a lot of use the Palestinians are, are, are human shields in, in this. You know, uh, there's no way Hamas would be able to hide its weapons and its tunnels without Palestinian knowledge. I, I personally, I've never been there, but I can't see how any of that's been developed without everyday Palestinians not knowing what's going on. What well, do you that, think? That goes back to it not being a, a democracy. It goes far uh, deeper than just using uh, people as, as physical shields. These are people who have been indoctrinated. These are people who have been subjected to a, a brutal regime 
Hamas cares uh, not for anything but the furtherance of its own ideology. We've seen Hamas engage in assassinations of its enemies. We've seen Hamas engage in extrajudicial killings of its adversaries, of its own Palestinian people. So um, these are people that don't really have the opportunity to resist Ed. What concerns do you have about, and I'll call it a weak police effort to stop the the violent protests and the anti-Semitism we've been seeing right across the country here. It's the incitement, Ed. Uh, the longer mm-hmm. these protests have gone on, the more that we've witnessed this this incitement um, brewing in Canada, and it's starting to reach a a fever pitch. Uh, we've seen, you know, the the targeting, the increasing targeting of Jewish businesses of. Uh, infrastructure with Jewish names attached to it, like Mount Sinai Hospital in Toronto, or even just yesterday, the Bromfin building at the faculty of um, of management at McGill University. And something, something needs to give. We've seen the recent graffiti in Toronto, where um, it was calling not just for to harm Zionists, but for political, for the assassination and murder yeah. of, of politicians in um, you know, it starts with one protest. It starts with a protest on October 9th with um, a Hamas flag at it. And now it's escalated months later to the tar- open targeting of Jewish businesses and the calling for the assassination of uh, Canadian leadership. So uh, th- th- there's very liminal concern, Ed, that we're only going to see the de- continued de-evolution of the situation unless something is done. From from your perspective, has the federal government failed here or if not? Uh, how can it or how should it address the current situation? I think that there's been a, a, a failure uh, at all levels of government for the most part to really address this. I mean, municipal governments uh, could better use their bylaws to ensure that protests uh, do not have not, did not de-escalate into the hate fests that we are we are seeing. Uh, provincial governments, for the most part, are responsible for the least for the policing of these protests, and they could um, compel a stronger response. And of course, the federal government could um, could look at updating the criminal code. Could update it. Uh, could look into updating certain legislation to ensure that um, our hate crime provisions are adequate to protect our vulnerable citizens. Richard, I I want to thank you for joining us today. A very, very concerning situation. Thank you very much for having me, Ed, and for addressing this situation. Richard Robinson's the Director of Research and Advocacy at B'nai B'rith Canada. Our unpublished IVO question asks, do you feel police in Canada are addressing the violence and anti-Semitism professionally? Yes, no, or unsure. You can log on and vote right now at unpublished.vote. I want to thank our guests today, Warren Kinsella, Joe Adam George, and Richard Robinson. And I want to thank you for watching the Unpublished Cafe. Stay safe. I'm Ed Hand. 